You're tuning in to the Bookmatic's Best Book Podcast, where you will discover author secrets from books that'll make you feel, grow, and learn. These authors are from all over the world, all different backgrounds, and you are sure to learn a whole lot from their personal experiences. So please enjoy, subscribe, and let's get into it. Hi, Bookmatic Lifelong Learners. We have a great guest here today, Danielle uh, Hawa Tari, Tariga. Is that right? Taria, you're very close. Yeah, okay, great, great. So uh, yeah, this is the author of Uplift and Empower, uh, a guide to understanding extreme poverty and poverty alleviation. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much again for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to our chat. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So this book was a really, uh, really hit home with me. Like I felt like Danielle did a really good job uh, researching the book. I mean, how long did it take you to write the book? It was actually the the writing process itself was quite fast. um, But in terms of just reading and preparation and research prior so formally, I started my process um, in September 2019, September, October time. But I had been reading books that I ended up referencing in Uplift and Empower um, for about a year or two prior. So luckily, the things that I was reading just casually ended up aligning with what I ended up writing a book about it as well. <laughs> so that mm-hmm. came in handy um, for sure. And I have a tendency to write detailed notes when I read nonfiction. Um, so those were definitely helpful. For sure. For sure. Definitely. Um, so... Uh, and yeah, I mean, like, actually, you're still pretty young, right? So were you doing writing this book while still like going to university or or uh, what was that process like? Yes. Um, so as I mentioned, I started the, the research process in September, October time, but I still had to finish my fourth year of university um, so that I, and I go to school. I, I went to UChicago and we we're on a quarter system. So fall quarter, I was on campus balancing my classes with research and interviews. And then in winter quarter, actually studied abroad in Dakar, Senegal. Um, So I spent January through March writing and researching and also taking classes. Uh, But luckily, the study abroad programs at UChicago give you a lot of um, free time. It's primarily used to spend writing essays and preparing for assignments. But because it was a semi-unstructured program, I was able to spend a lot of that free time working on Uplifts and Empower. Um, There are a lot of early mornings and late nights. I'll be completely honest. It wasn't (laughs) a very straightforward path um, for me, but it ended up getting done. And then I spent my spring quarter at UChicago doing a lot of the editing work and by the summer. So as of August 15th, so the anniversary is coming around very soon, I was able to publish. Perfect. Perfect. And this is your first book ever, right? Yes. Do you first think book. you'll write yes, another? Yes, hopefully first of year. Yes, hopefully so. Um, as of right now, I'm still kind of reflecting on some of the ideas that I shared in Uplifts and Empower. And as you mentioned, I am young. I just wrapped up my undergrad degree in um, 2020. So I'll likely pursue a master's and possibly even a PhD. And then From there, we'll likely end up writing a bit more once I have some more research experience under my belt. Cool. Well, I have a I have a really good feeling that you're going to make and are making a a huge impact, uh, a huge dent in poverty, as you talk about in your book. Uh, So, yeah, actually, why this topic? I'm curious. 
Definitely. Um, and I think this is a, it's a really important question for me to reflect on often as well, because I was doing something very different prior to September 2019. Um, I was working in the finance space. And up until that point, everything that I was doing in college was leading up to me pursuing a career in, in finance and technology um, in these more popular fields. A lot of people at UChicago end up working in consulting or investment banking. And I was on the investment banking path. But I found myself going to work every day and I would pass by homeless people on my way to work um, on million dollars, sometimes even billion dollar deals. And I didn't understand how those two worlds could possibly coexist. And that question just kept coming back to me throughout the summer. When I finally had some time to reflect on my experience, I realized that I cared deeply about this problem and I wanted to understand it more thoroughly. And I happened to get a phone call from, from a professor um, at Georgetown University. He was up with the opportunity for me to write a book. And I said, you know, I have been kind of reflecting on this question for a while. A lot of the books I've been reading casually have aligned with social problems at large, but particularly poverty alleviation. And I think this is a good opportunity for me to now pursue this with more depth. And I, and I did that. I just did the research. I was just asking questions that I personally had. I wanted to write what I felt a young person like me would want to learn. And I knew the questions that I was asking, the simple questions like, what is poverty? What causes poverty? Those are questions that someone without a background at all would be asking. And I wanted to find a way to kind of put together a guide, which is, why, which is why it's called a guide to understanding extreme poverty and poverty alleviation. The end goal of the book really was to create a resource for people to, to have all of the essential vocabulary and kind of concepts they would need to be able to move forward and do their own research after the fact, but knowing that they had a very solid knowledge base from the book. That was my goal to just kind of encourage people, regardless of your background um, in social issues or international development, to be able to have a resource to give you kind of like a one-on-one, one-on-one sense of what is poverty and how can I make a difference from where I am? Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and that's like the huge, like the strong point of your book is uh, you you uh, take your research that you did and you just lay it out in an understandable way. So that's that's great. Um, really loved reading through that. And I feel like that it's going to be very powerful for people interested or wanting to learn about the topic. So thank you so much for taking the time to write your amazing book. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so now I know in, uh, in the very beginning of your book, you talk about, um, like money, people think about money, you know, giving money to, to for poor people. And of course, money is not the only thing that can help out. Right. Can you explain a little bit more about, uh, why just money is, is not the solution to poverty? Definitely. And this is something, this is one of the assumptions I had going into, which is why it's one of the first questions I, I address, um, this idea of why can't we just write a blank check and then hope for the best, right? Like, why isn't this working? And it's just the recognition that poverty is about more than just money. And I talk about this in the context of Oxford's multidimensional poverty index, which shares how factors like health, education, and living standards all impact poverty and like what, what a person's experiences in poverty are actually like. So beyond just offering someone money, you have to be able to support their nutrition, support their access to education, to make sure they have a stable home, make sure they have access to electricity and, and sanitation and water and all of these factors that influence your quality of life. So because poverty itself isn't just about money, the solutions to poverty can't just be limited to money. You have to really think about helping the whole individual, helping the whole family, which is why one of the major themes that I share throughout Ableton Empower is this idea of helping people help themselves. The name, the title of the book is very intentional. Rather than giving people handouts, it's about uplifting and empowering people to help themselves. Because I, I, I really strongly believe that everybody is capable of solving their own problems when they're given the right opportunities and resources to 
do so. So just being mindful of the fact that you can't just hand someone a, hand someone a check and hope for the best. You have to make sure you're, you're, you're assessing and providing opportunities for people to help themselves beyond that, that simple $5 here, $1 there, really digging deeper into understanding the root causes of their issues and then addressing them, addressing them from that angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And you talk about the aspect of uh, like, what was it? Collaboration, right? Uh, collaboration and um, the partnership model is that what you're yeah, partnership, to? Yeah, yeah, collaboration and partnership. Yeah, can you tell us about that? Because I think that was yeah, brilliant for sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so actually, I proposed the, and it's definitely not an original idea, but I shared the, this idea of partnership in contrast to paternalism. And paternalism is this idea of treating poverty alleviation as kind of like a parent-child relationship, where the parents who are oftentimes the wealthy donors, or parents in quotes are the wealthy donors, who are shepherding, guiding, aiding the helpless child, who in this case would be the person who is benefiting from the aid. But in that kind of relationship, the power is always in balance, and the focus is primarily on the parent in that in that pairing. So rather than being in that in that imbalanced dynamic of of, um, of partnership or of sorry paternalism, I instead propose approaching things from from a position of partnership, approaching things from a position of equals, recognizing that again we're all capable of solving our problems. We're not dealing with helpless children. We're dealing with with oftentimes adults who have life experience and they know the context of their of their poverty better than we ever could as someone coming and trying to help so recognizing their autonomy allowing people to take control over their future but is making sure they have the tools whether whether they're monetary or otherwise to do so so that partnership model is really about finding ways to empower people to help themselves and it, and it goes back to the title it goes back to the essence of this idea of recognizing that people people can help themselves People can mm-hmm. solve their own problems. Like we, we don't have to be the, the poverty saviors, the poverty superheroes of the world. Like everybody is capable of helping themselves, just making sure they're in a position to do that. And, and oftentimes people who are living in extreme poverty are not in a position to do that. So how can we change the, the circumstances that they're in to create opportunities for them to do that for themselves? Um, so the partnership, it's, it's really about just reshaping how we think about helping other people and making it mm-hmm. more of an equal balance. Mm-hmm. True, true. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's like the story of, uh, teach a man uh, or give a man a fish or something like that, right? Yeah, give a yeah, man exactly. a fish, uh, then they don't really Versus teaching know, him how to fish, exactly. Teaching how to fish, um, yeah, and letting them uh, collaborate and do it, basically do it their own way, right? Uh, yeah, so that's that's really empowering, uplifting and empowering for sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yes, I tried to, I tried to even kind of frame, even the cover of the book kind of gives a hint to its contents as well. Like it's all. It's, it's all interconnected in a way that I hope allows people to even just glance at the cover. And if you read the book, when you're able to recall some of the main ideas. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. And you also, you reference two of my favorite books, uh, Factfulness and uh, Why Nations Fail. Factfulness by uh, Hans Rosling and yeah. Why Nations Fail by Darren A. Smoglu and... Yeah. The second guy, I forget. <laughs> I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Robinson, I forgot his name. I think it's James yes, Robinson. Robinson. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So those those books are are fantastic book books. I'm curious, how does your book uh, differ from from those, and where do you expand on those books? Yeah, this is a good question. Hmm. And I'd say that they're both excellent reads. And I, and again, the authors of those of, of those works are all very experienced, really 
really great background. And I and I wouldn't, I don't think I would have even written a Blitz and Empower if I hadn't read Faculty. So I have, I owe a lot of debt of gratitude to the Rosling family for pursuing, for writing that book in the first place. Um, in terms of differences, I'd say, and this is similar for Why Nations Fail as well. Why Nations Fail was, um, they had a lot of case studies and I, I have two chapters on case studies, but they have a, a lot more kind of like practical applications to some of the ideas that they share. Um, and I tried to make sure I've incorporated practical applications as well, but I think they have the added benefit of like that research background. Um, so that's kind of where my book differs there. And it's also, my book is a lot more focused on the fundamentals too, where that's like a bit more, a bit, a bit higher level. So I would even tell someone, maybe you read a and Empower first and then read a work like that. So you have exposure to some of the key terms that you need to really thoroughly understand the concept they actually share, um, especially when it comes to things like property rights. And I even referenced the, the whole idea of inclusive versus exclusive institutions and uplifts and empower. So you would get exposed to some of those key ideas in my book first, and then you can kind of read in further detail there um, with why nations fail. And then on the faculty side to things, faculty is focused, focuses a lot more on statistics um, than I do, because the, the whole idea behind it really was about trying to reshape the way that we we see and understand and conceptualize data and information. So I, I use data as a tool to kind of further the points that I share in Uplift and Empower, but my book is definitely not just focused on how we understand data. Um, so I'd say, again, of course I'm biased, like read Uplift and Empower and you'll get a sense of the key facts and figures you need to know, in, including the data itself. And then you can read faculty to make sure that when you see a number like 700 million people, you're not reading it as, oh my gosh, it's on this it's unable we're unable to surpass this this huge mountain of 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 a problem and rather think of it as well 700 million is about 10 percent of the global population so like reshaping how you view those numbers that i share in uplift and empower uh, and i share i share them separately um to try to avoid falling into those traps myself when i'm in my writing but you'll have a kind of a clear sense of the context for understanding the information if you're to do that yeah yeah definitely um you you also referenced uh the the levels right level one, level yes. two, level three, level four, but you change them a little bit, right? Uh, can you tell us about Robins, Drews, Taylors, and Camerons and why you decided to name them by, by people? Absolutely. And I, and I love this idea in faculty, which is why I use it um, in Uplift and Empower as well, because it helps you to kind of, it helps you to avoid that trap of thinking of, thinking thinking in absolutes. And it, and it really, actually reading faculty is actually again, like what kind of encouraged me to write because it made me realize that, that we do have this really substantial kind of middle portion. Oops, sorry, it's about to rain. One sec, let me move okay. to a spot where it's going to rain. No problem, down. yeah. We don't want you to get all wet there. Okay, I'll move over here and try to move the umbrella. Okay, so sorry about that. What was I chatting about? Oh, well, the levels. not a problem. Yeah, we were talking about uh, the, um, the levels, Robins, Drews, Taylors, and Camerons. Okay, right. And so, I think you were starting to talk about how changing the names uh, personalized it or something like that? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the reason why I used the idea was because I, I just, I love that idea of kind of breaking down the global population into income levels and recognizing the complexities beyond just rich and poor, third world, third world and first world countries. And these kind of, we created these binaries when it's actually a lot more complex than that. And I wanted to recognize that within a blessing and power but then also add the context of the names with the idea being that when you when you name something, it's easier to kind of humanize the issue. And a lot of people have a tendency to think of poverty as, think of people living in poverty as a monolith, but there's so much 
nuance to the experience of what it's like to live in extreme poverty versus relative poverty. And I felt that by giving people living in extreme poverty a name, it would help to humanize it, help people to find a personal connection to it. I purposely used names that were fairly Western, fairly common, so that people reading the book may even know someone with a similar name and use that as a, a point to recognize that, yeah, like people living in extreme poverty may not have access to the same things that we have, but they still have families, they still have friends, they're still, they're still role models in the communities, they still play an active role where they live. And there's, there's still common ground between someone living in the West and someone living in a low-income country. And even saying things like the West and the rest are things I was trying to break out of as well. Oftentimes when I use those kinds of words and phrases, it's because that's what people are used to hearing. Um, but in, a, in an ideal world, you would be able to use these, these broader, these four income levels as a, as a common reference point and people would recognize the, the complexities and the nuances that are there because it's not just, it's not us versus them. It's, it's really about recognizing that there is this there are these there are, there are these these levels and these nuances and there are people who are actively trying to you know move from level one to level two level three to level four kind of thing so just mm -hmm. recognizing the nuance there as well which kind of which again comes into play with how how I approach the money plus method which comes into play with focusing on shifting your mindset from from paternalism to partnership so a lot of the book is just trying to expose people to these kinds of ideas and encouraging people to think a bit deeper about the issue beyond what you might just read in a headline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, um, uh, is, do you think there's a, there's actually like a fifth level when I was reading about the levels, I was, I was curious, uh, because I thought, well, $32 is level four, right? $32 per day, I think. Right. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Do you think that there's a, a level like above number four? I think I definitely think so, especially given yeah. the wide income gaps that we're seeing. Um, I think there's definitely space for level for level five and maybe even beyond level five, honestly. But I, yeah. I guess it gives you a kind of a starting point, a reference point. You can add nuance to it as you see fit. Uh, but I definitely think there's space for a level five. And I think yeah. there might even be space for level below one, because there are some people who are are living on favors from friends and family and may not, may not even have access to a, to an income source. Right. So mm, right. It's, it's it gives us a reference point to work from but again I think embracing the nuances thinking of things like is there a level five is there a level six or level zero I think that's all part of developing that that thoughtfulness mindset that uplift and empower mindset of recognizing that a lot of these issues are a lot more complex than me we often we often realize mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I guess it's much better than just saying third world and first world <laughs> exactly because that's not and then missing specific. out on who we're yeah. referring to <laughs> yeah yeah and each each country has a variety of, of uh, levels within the country. Like I'm living over here in Indonesia right now. And for sure, there's a lot of people living in poverty, but there's also yeah. uh, very, very wealthy people here. I guess that's probably like that in every country, right? Exactly. And yeah. what level four looks like, I mean, regardless of the income level, like what level four looks like in the U.S. is different than what level four looks like in England, what, than what level four looks like in Liberia, right? Because it's just... You might look the different materials you're able to afford to buy or can use, you know, so mm -hmm. it's, there's, there's a lot of nuance in it. And I think recognizing that is the first step towards making effective change. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. So if you could pick one thing from your book that maybe the readers, people who decide to read your book, hopefully, uh, what, what would that one thing be for that reader to take away? 
there, there are a lot of key points, but I think if I had to choose just one, uh, I would definitely focus on the importance of community-based development and recognition that you don't need to be a millionaire or billionaire to start making effective change and to start helping to alleviate poverty, um, especially when thinking about the nuances of what poverty looks like. Um, there's poverty everywhere. It's not just limited to low-income countries. So just acknowledging that there are low-income communities where you are, um, that you are uniquely placed to make effective change in because you have that cultural context. And, and I, I actually have an example of this. I'm trying to kind of be a proof of concept, my own concept, through what I'm doing in Ocala, Florida, where I was raised. And I break this down at, towards the end of a Listen Empower, and I talk about the importance of checking your privilege. And I say that step one is to acknowledge that there are aspects of your life that are so convenient that you can't even imagine living without them. And those are what your privileges look like. So starting from there, figuring out what are some parts of your life that are just so ingrained into your routine, you wouldn't, you couldn't imagine your life elsewhere. And for me, that was having access to quality education. Um, I had the benefit of having really supportive teachers throughout my entire life. I was had the privilege of get, being able to go to U University of Chicago. And from that starting point, I decided, okay, well, what opportunities are available for me in Ocala to make an impact. And that looks like starting a scholarship fund. So I was able to reach out to a local foundation, the Public Education Foundation in Marion County. And I worked with them to put together the Eclipse and Empower Scholarship Fund. And then from there, I was able to take action, which is the third step that I share, um, which, is, which is then just starting up the fund, supporting students. We just selected our first two scholarship winners um, back in May. And we're currently raising funds for year two of a scholarship fund. And again, this is, I'm not a millionaire or a billionaire, but I knew that I had a privilege, I knew that I had an opportunity, and I knew that I had an action that I wanted to take, and I was able to move forward with that. So just encouraging people to start from home, start with what you know. You don't need to spend thousands of dollars on a flight to a low-income country to make an impact and to alleviate poverty, because you can alleviate poverty where you are first and find effective ways to do that, and then branch out from there. So start from home, start with what you know, and help to uplift and empower your community, because you can. Yeah, that's, a, that's probably one of the best takeaways from the book, because it's actionable, uh, and yeah, if, if more people start doing that, then yeah, it's, it's really going to help people in need. So uh, I really love that takeaway for sure. Um, so yeah, is there anything else that you would like to add to this conversation, to this episode? Yeah, well, I, I definitely want to reiterate what I just shared about the importance of community-based development. I want to encourage people, if they're interested, of course, to donate to the scholarship fund. We are actively fundraising right now. And I'd encourage you as well, if you have the time and the resources and the and the foundations local to you to start your own scholarship fund, consider doing so as well. Think about the privileges that you have in your personal life and ways that you can possibly make an impact. It could be as simple as being a mentor for, for a low-income student who might need a role model to look up to in their, their industry of choice. It could mean donating your time. Another thing too, of course, beyond the money plus method is recognizing that you can donate your time, you can donate your knowledge, you can donate your skills too. So just don't always limit yourself to donating money when it comes to, you know, alleviating poverty because your time is just as valuable, your skills are just as valuable as well. Yeah, exactly. Like just getting out in front of the, the people who, who need you and giving, helping them with your skills. That's exactly. actually very, very impactful, sometimes even more impactful than money, right? Exactly. And I even huh. encourage friends too with the scholarship fund. I always tell them if you can't donate, which it happens sometimes, then sharing is just as useful. Sharing your time, sharing your, sharing your network, sharing your, your connections, all, all of these kind of soft intangibles that we have access to, these are amazing ways to give back as well. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. So uh, where can people find you? Where can people get your book as well? 
absolutely everything you need to connect with me to connect with the to, to learn more about the book is all in upliftandempower.com so i always encourage people to visit there i also expand on some of the ideas i wrote in uplift and empower on my blog as well so i talk about i talk about with more depth things like corruption and capitalism and wealthy distribution and some of the major ideas um, that are kind of that are popular topics now um, that I didn't dig into a lot in the books and empower because I wanted to just introduce people to concepts first. Um, so definitely check the blog for that kind of information. I also share more resources and opportunities for people to give back in their communities. Um, so I share some links to volunteering websites and things like that too. You can also learn more about scholarship fund there as well. And then I have links to all my social media profiles on the website as well. So that's just upliftandempower.com. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I will definitely include that in the description. That way, uh, people can have that easy access link, just click on it and then access everything you were talking about there. Uh, you have a newsletter as well? On the website? I do. I have a monthly newsletter that I send out. I just send out updates about what's going on with the with books and empower. So if I'm doing an interview like this, I'll share a link to the, the YouTube video. If I have any blog posts, I'll share a link to that. So if you're not actively on social media, checking the updates there, there's typically a monthly recap of sorts on the newsletter that you can check as well. Oh, that's perfect. Perfect. Like I said, I'll include the link as well. So Danielle, thank you. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the episode. Really thank appreciate Thank you. I had a really great time chatting and I'm glad that you enjoyed reading the book as well. It means a lot. Mm -hmm, for sure. And uh, everyone watching and listening right now, thank you so much. Uh, and we'll see you in the next episode.